change your mind, and you'll change everything. Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. Hello, my friends. Doing something unusual today because on the show we have a guest, Mr. Corey Ivins. Say hi, Corey Ivins. Hi, Corey Ivins. <laughs> I knew you were <laughs> going to say that. Now, I don't usually have guests on the show, and I certainly try to get high, higher quality than this one. But Corey, Corey and I are actually very good friends and have been for quite a long time. And I don't know if this will be the typical guest appearance or more of a co-reflection on something that I'm going to bring up as a follow-up from the last episode we did. But it might be fun for you to hear how Corey and I got to know each other. You want to tell the story, Corey? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful story. But, um, you know, in previous lives, Nathan was uh, training and teaching basically every human being that got hired in the company I was working for. So, you know, think thousands of people. And so I had the grand fortune of being in his training class, training course. And in it, he basically taught us how to think differently. It was a 180 switcheroo on how most people think about talking to clients, presenting, uh, you name it, you know. And uh, yes, he was teaching about um, how to present more effectively to customers. But what he was really teaching is how to think and approach your life differently. So uh, he was he was a little sneaky that way. But in day one, I thought I knew everything about how to present and how to tell the company's story and how to do everything. And so um, everything Nathan was teaching was challenging my beliefs about how good of a presenter I was and you know how good I was at my job. So by the end of the first day, I was furious. I literally to his face said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people end up furious at the end of day one. Um, but by the end of the day, I literally said, I was like, I hate you because everything you're saying goes against everything I believe. Um, and so Nathan was uh, very, very patient with me. You did say it in front of a whole bunch of people too. I, I did, like in front of 30 people. <laughs> so there is that. And he was patient and said, listen, do it my way one time. Go home, build your presentation the way that I recommend, the way that I've taught. Just do it one time. If you do it and it doesn't work out for you, I'll never ask you to do another thing. Just go home and do it. And um, I did, followed instructions. And I came home the next day and I, I had a whole different perspective on life. Like something that night flipped, like, the, like it flipped the switch. I understood it. And instead of saying, I hate you on day two, I said, I absolutely love you. Like, this is everything. This makes sense to me now. It just makes sense. And, you know, what that did in my career is it led me to um, a new sales job in that same company and then led to millions of dollars in sales uh, because I knew how to talk to people and how to tell the customer story instead of the company story. And so I have everything that I have, <laughs> I owe to Nathan because of what he taught me. That's kind of a big deal. 
We should probably take in and and just figure out what that amount is so we can make it right. <laughs> That's a nice commission check right there. The, uh, uh, the bromance has continued since then. Corey is a is a valued friend, and I trust him a lot, so I'm glad to have him on here. Uh, he and I had the the privilege of reporting to a very effective boss at the same time. So we were in the same department and reported to somebody really effective. And in in the last podcast episode, I was talking about the three things that are generally the motivators for anything we do. One is a mandate or coercion. One is something that makes my job or my life easier. So I might not be thrilled about doing what I'm asked to do, but if it's easier to do than it was before, then I'll do it. And the third one, and the and the most effective by far, is something that makes me feel valued. And after after I finished the episode and posted it, I thought, you know, if anybody questions me on that, go watch a few episodes of Undercover Boss. Watch what happens when somebody discovers that they really are important to to that boss or to a manager or something. It just changes everything. And so there were some experiences, some sentences that I wrote down in that context that I would that I would love to talk about with Corey and you and I for just a few minutes. And the first, I'll start with a negative thing. This was a conversation I had with a vice president about an employee we were about to lose who had a, a great deal of institutional knowledge, knew a whole lot about everything, and losing that person would mean tons and tons of knowledge gone and the need to retrain somebody else to fill that role. And as I talked to the VP, he said, well, if I've learned anything, it's that people are easily replaced. What do you think, Corey? You like that one? Um, um, That is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lie. Uh, (laughs) I've had some opportunities to work with some very big companies. And in so doing, I've learned a lot about like their inner workings and the cost of replacing an employee. And let me tell you, the average cost of replacing an employee based on role is between two hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand dollars. Onboarding, hiring procedures, getting them up to effective and contributing, is a very high cost for a company. And so, you know, some of these big corporations work in monopoly money, but there is a very high cost for replacing, especially a valuable individual who's a high high level contributor. So, I mean, if they're Saying something like, hey, I'll just go get a job somewhere else if you're not going to pay me what I'm worth. Pay attention to that. Right. Not if it's blackmail, but if it's legitimate, you got to pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 If they're actually a contributing employee. So. Okay. What about this one? Here's another one that I hear all the time. And, and we're, we're talking about this in a business context, but in a minute, we're going to talk about it in the context of parenting and marriage and families. Here's one. Don't get too close to your employees because they won't respect you and they won't do things. Any thoughts about that one, Corey? Don't get too close to your children because then they won't do things. <laughs> That's a good response. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. The principle is exactly the same. It doesn't make sense. Now, I mentioned on the last episode a boss that I had that was so good, and that's the one that I'm talking about, the one that was someone to whom Corey and I both reported who was so good that we would have given blood, sweat, and tears for that guy. And it wasn't that he didn't get close to us. Look at, look at stories of the great 
coaches and the great teachers and the great leaders that people admire and talk about for years and years and years. Well, they don't admire them and love them and revere them and follow them because they kept their distance. It's because they showed each individual what they were actually capable of doing. You know, you look at a show like Mr. Holland's Opus, or you talk about some great coach, or you listen to Mike Rose's tribute on his podcast about his high school music teacher. Those kinds of things show that this belief that getting too close is, is a bad idea is completely false. Now, being a pushover is not what we're talking about. But valuing the person as a person and requiring enough of them that they learn what they can become, that's a really powerful thing. Absolutely. What do you think about that, Mike? Sorry. You've never done that with your kids, have you? You don't want them to think that, that they're powerful. No, I rule with an iron thumb. That's my job. Yeah. Uh, no, I, um, I, I absolutely agree. I think the job of a leader, whether you're leading in your home or whether you're leading um, in the workplace or anywhere, is to understand the potential of the people that are under you, right? And not under you from a dictatorship, but just the people that you have responsibility for. That's it. So you need to understand what their potential is and understand like each of those individuals that you have, you're responsible for have a different way of contributing to the world right. and a different way of growing and giving. Okay. If that's true, and it is, what's the difference then between high expectations and a high level of coercion or micromanagement? Um, can I maybe give it in context, <laughs> like, like just as an example? So I had a boss once where, you know, we had, we had, you know, an, un, uh, a very large quota to, to achieve and it was nigh impossible. Um, and we, we wanted to achieve it. And well, I, so this has happened twice with two different, uh, bosses. My first boss, let's call it the bad example said, here's what we need to do. And I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And now I can tell you, I didn't feel motivated to contribute at all because <laughs> it was like, here's what it is. I've already thought about it. And all I need you to do is just go, just go do it. Don't, don't ask questions. Don't anything like this is the way it's going to be. Just go. I, I need you to just do it. Um, and we did not achieve quota that year. And a lot of people like, you know, you get the, the behind the scenes chatter. Uh, no one really felt motivated at all. Uh, none of the individual contributors. Now, on the flip side, this same manager that you and I shared for a little while, um, for the sake of of, uh, of the story, we'll just call him Randall. And uh, he, he was an amazing, amazing person. And I can't tell you, like, number one, his door was always open. I could walk into his office any moment and he would stop whatever he was doing and we would solve problems together. Um, but at one point, um, we were trying to solve a rather large problem that affected the company, you know, worldwide. And he sat in the room and he started, he had like a board on his wall and he had a couple of things written out and he said, how would you solve this problem? I remember that. And we sat down and I went, well, I would take this person and this person would work on this and this person would, you know, so we start problem solving and he goes, that's a fantastic idea. He's like, I think I would do it exactly the same way. In fact, I can't think of anyone better than you to help solve this problem. Would Isn't you want to take cool? it? We also had some some conversation about 
each person's role in that and what their nicknames should be. <laughs> we can we can strike this from the podcast if you want, but Corey had so many different kinds of run around and get stuff done kinds of assignments in that department that uh, when it was time to give him his appropriate name, I dubbed him the ginger widget. <laughs> and it fit. He was appropriate for sure. <laughs> but it really fit. Okay. It stuck about, for sure. <laughs> what about uh, a situation where you have no choice but to conform to a mandate? So an extreme example of this would be basic training, right? It has to be done. There is no there is no way around it or some some required training for employees or something. Sometimes you're in a position where you have to ask people to do things they don't want to do because it's required of them and of you. How can you handle that in a way that still values the person more than the event? Well, I mean, basic training is the perfect example because what you get in the beginning of basic training is like, like a bunch of young people who maybe don't have direction in life, maybe haven't got things figured out, don't know what their contribution to the world is. Right. And within a matter of weeks, they are polished and clean and they know what they're about to do. They understand how to, how to follow orders. They've got a process and a plan for everything that they can do, whether it's brushing their teeth, what they eat, or you know, it, everything is planned out and detailed. And so I think the 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 responsibility of the leader, right? Whether it's you know someone who's in charge of these people in basic training, it's to show them in a very truthful and sometimes brash way what their contribution or lack of contribution is to the team. And if they understand that, yeah, they have to understand why these matter and what it would mean in the field. So it's interesting to talk to people who have gone through basic and see which ones hate the military and which ones value it. I wouldn't say a whole lot of them love it, but some hate it and some love it. And usually it's uh, the ones who didn't find application hate it. The ones who found application found safety in the techniques and the kinds of things that they learned. Then they value that learning experience that was really hard. All right, so let's take yeah. that and point that to point all of this now to parenting. So we're going to start, we're going to kind of, kind of go backward. Uh, the basic training example, I know some parents who parent that way. And in the last episode, we talked about parents who rule by fear and a child will always wait just until the object of fear is removed and then they'll do whatever they want. So if we want to have high expectations, we can have a high level of coercion, micromanaging, or we can have a high level of helping them see their individual worth. The middle ground, by the way, that makes my job easier. Too many parents go there by trying to be their kid's buddy. And there's nothing wrong with being your kid's buddy. I am, I am buddies with my kids. But some parents try and solve this problem by making the child like them. And they find themselves manipulated to their detriment and to the detriment of the child. A huge detriment. But the ones where the child feels that they are required to do something amazing and then they are loved into doing it, they are shown that they are capable, that the parent believes that they are capable, 
and that they will be something better and more satisfied when it's done. Those are the good ones. Yeah. Well, a lot of times you can involve the child in deciding how they contribute in the first place. Right. You know, if you have like a very effective way of communicating with the family, you can lay it out and say, okay, here are the things that must be done. Here are the things that we have to do, right? Just like the orders, the orders that, you know, you, you didn't pick them, <laughs> but you've got to complete them, right? Right. So, you know, hey, this is our household and this is how we're going to work out in this household. How do you think we should solve these problems? Let them show up. These kids want to contribute, but they don't want to be forced into it. They won't, they don't want to feel like they have no other choice. Right. They want to be a valuable contributor and they want to see that they're valuable in the family. Right. And that's our responsibility. But they're valuable for themselves. They matter to you. You know, mattering matters so much that we can we can give people really, really high goals to shoot for. And as long as they believe they really matter and that we really have confidence that they can do it, it usually is inspiring. It usually places them in a position where they want to show us that they actually can, especially if they're children. But the same is true for employees or friends or even spouses. Imagine a situation where your spouse feels coerced or pecked at or or constantly complained about versus one where they feel like you're their biggest cheerleader. You're in their corner and they're capable of anything and you'll help them. It's quite a bit right. different relationship, isn't it? And I know, Corey, you've been, you've been coaching some people around this very topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of times it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a good exercise to, to simply take inventory with one another. How do you think we're doing spiritually? How do you think we're doing physically? How do you think we're doing intimately or with our friends and family? And, you know, you don't have to go down the list on a clipboard, but you know, it's okay to ask these questions and just get a response without, without any kind of, you know, leading the witness, just open-ended questions. How do you think this is doing? And for your spouse to come back and say, I don't think we're doing that great. You know, in one of these areas, then you, you get to ask, well, what would you do? Yeah. And then you get, you have an opportunity that I think we miss a lot in, in life because we're just busy, but it's the opportunity to listen. Right. To, to actually hear what they have to say. And that's, that's the, that's the key is you actually have to listen and remember what it is they say, because all too often it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah whatever. And then like that, whatever that thing was kind of goes by the wayside and you know, how, what are we having for dinner? But if you can remember that, and apply it in the future, or especially if you can find a way to communicate, Hey, I want that thing for you too, or I want that thing for us. And right. I will move heaven and earth to make sure that thing happens. How can I best help you? And that's, that's useful. How can I help you best? You know, my dad was a famous music teacher and he would often require things of his students that nobody had ever tried before, let alone thought possible. And he began by helping them understand that he believed it was possible because they were capable. It was interesting to watch as he would work with uh, each class or each, he was a, a choir director, each group, and they were huge. At one point, he had more than half the student body of the school in choir. But he would have uh, class presidencies or group presidencies over some of these to help monitor and manage all of this 
and he would sit down with them, describe what he thought they were capable of, describe how difficult it would be and how worthwhile it would be to get there. And then he would say, now, you guys come up with the rules that we should have in the classroom and during rehearsals. And almost without fail, their rules were stricter than his and their goals were higher than his. And it turns out that that actually works really, really well. Many of them have remembered him as a dear friend and as a, a surrogate father for decades because of those experiences. Nothing matters more than mattering more. Yeah. Nothing matters more. Yeah. Well, I wish we had more time. Because we could solve the world's problems by exploring this topic in more depth, and we probably will in a couple of weeks. All right, maybe a couple of months, but we're we're going to revisit this. Yeah, I I want to thank Corey. I thought it would be fun to have him here to share an experience we both had, and you'll notice that we are very similar in our thinking about this, in part because of that shared experience and what we learned. So thank you very very much, Corey, for taking the time to be on this podcast. It's a privilege for me to be here, genuinely. So thank you. You are very welcome. Thanks again. And as always, we'll talk to you again soon.